Welcome to the Stonebridge Church Podcast. Watch us live every Sunday morning at 9.30 or 11.05 a.m. at gosblive.com or visit us in person. You can find directions at gostonebridge.com. Connect with us on our social media at facebook.com slash and our Instagram at sbchurch. Well, Christmas is uh, certainly an exciting time, but most of us would agree t- Christmas can be a real busy time, right? I mean, almost chaotic, just trying to get everything done and, and uh, all the planning and all. And I, I think it's funny, the contrast though, because a lot of people say Christmas is chaotic and it's difficult and it's hard to keep up with. But then there are also people who would say, say this, no, Christmas time for me, because of my situation, is boring and it's lonely and it's difficult in a different way. And it's a funny contrast for us, I think. It's, it's one of those things that happens to us. It's, it's easy to get distracted from what the real meaning of Christmas is and to, to miss it, you know, somehow uh, because of those distractions, even though it's right in front of us. I mean, you can go to different stores and things and see the manger, but you see all the other things, right? And you can go on TV and there's still Charlie Brown Christmas, I think well, this may be the last year, but you know, you can still, that's the real meaning of Christmas. But even in the Charlie Brown Christmas, it plays off the idea that, that we can miss it and all the other things that uh, go on. I think life is certainly uh, that way. I, I, I know that it's that way for me. And uh, if you go back to the uh, original story, we did this two weeks ago when we started looking at Matthew's version of it. And he talks about the king in the era. His name was what? Who was the king? King Herod. That's right. So King Herod ruled over the area and powerful man and a brilliant man and a great builder. And somehow the, the king of the Jews is born and he, he doesn't totally miss it, but he misses it enough that his idea of going and finding the king and seeing the king is not because he wants to worship the king, even though these magi, these royal astrologers have come from the, the eastern part of the world and they've come down and said, we saw a star as it came up in the heavens. They decided that this star uh, was a symbol of a king being born to the Jews. We've come to worship him. And uh, we're looking for him. And, you know, and the natural thing would be come to Jerusalem because that's where all the kings of the, of the region in, Jeru- in, uh, in Israel would be living. And they're looking for him. And this upsets Herod because Herod sees him as a threat. Wow. But it's easy to do that, to, to mistake something as, as, as incredible as we think of it as, as God sending his son born in a manger, born in a lowly way to show us how much he cares for us and to see it as a threat. So he addresses them as saying, hey, go find him, worship him the way you wanted to and, and let me know where because I, I, I wanna find him also so that I can worship him. But as we said, was Herod's intention to worship him? No, Herod's intention was to do what? Eliminate him, right, I'm gonna eliminate him. And he was so uh, ruthless and he was so determined that he eventually sends soldiers to, to kill a lot of innocent children um, in Bethlehem in order to make sure that at least statistically, right, as far as the analytics are concerned, I must have eliminated him also. That's how he saw it. That's how he missed it. And I know you would think, well, I'm not like that. Good, good. I, I hope you're not. But isn't it possible that we get so distracted, we get so looking at the things that we want 
um, maybe how we want life to turn out, uh, that what we think will make us feel important and significant in the world, that we miss the one thing, the one person that could make us significant. In fact, here's the irony of it. One day, Herod will need to be saved himself, rescued, because Herod cannot preserve his own life. One, one day, Herod dies. One day, Herod faces his future also. And, and the one child, the one person who could rescue him and he could save him, he has spent his, his latter years trying to figure out how can I eliminate that person? How can I have that person taken off of the face of the earth? I think there's the other group there that we didn't talk about two weeks ago. Remember the scribes and the Pharisees? Because, uh, you know, even though they, the, the Magi come and they say, this is when we saw the star. So Herod, you know, talks to them, asks him exactly so he knows when. But the one struggle he has is where? Because he, he knows there's no king born in Jerusalem because he would know about it. And of course he would think, and it would be my son, and he hasn't had a son born recently so that you know, this would be uh, the person that they're talking about. So he needs to know where would I find him? And of course, the religious leaders, the scribes and Pharisees, he goes to them, he sends word to them. Where will he be born? And they say, where, where's he gonna be born? He's gonna be born where? In Bethlehem. So Bethlehem's about five or six miles south of Jerusalem. It's not very far. I mean, it would be easy for anyone to go to Bethlehem and to search for and to see if they can find a baby born and this significant, uh, you know, this significant child. But the religious leaders don't go. <laughs> they don't go. Now, they're probably afraid of what would happen if we went. You know, maybe Herod would get upset and we really don't wanna make Herod upset because he is ruthless. And he finds a way to eliminate all those who don't support him and don't do things um, his way. And so they thought, you know, but, but think of it. They could have come up with something, couldn't they? I mean, you could have said, hey, Herod, I know that, you know, you're, you may not like this, but we're going to go because you sent the wise men to go check it out. We're going to go down there also, you know, because there's an outlet mall there and we haven't been there in a while. We need to stock up on some of the latest fashions and things. So we're, we're going to go there also, but they, they don't do it. They don't bother to go uh, either, even though they're the ones, in one sense, it is their task, their job to know when and where. That's, that's what they were primarily supposed to do, and yet they don't go. It just makes me think and makes me wonder sometimes with my own life, what do I miss, right? What do I miss that can make such a major, significant change in my life? In the New Testament, there's a guy named Saul. And uh, later he's called Paul, but Saul of Tarsus was a guy who believed he was doing the right thing. I mean, he was, all of his energy was going into eliminating all of these who called themselves followers of the way, followers of this false Messiah to him, Jesus, until a change occurs. He encounters Jesus on the road going to search out for some others. He appears to him in a division changes his life. Now, here's why I, why I want to bring this up. We're going to look at a story. Um, this is in the gospel according to Luke. So this is uh, a Dr. Luke, his compiling things and him telling the early part, but, but he starts at a place that no one else starts really. He starts with the birth of John the Baptist or John the baptizer. He was the originator of the Southern Baptist. And he, um, that's supposed to be funny, but okay. So <laughs> He was the baptizer. He was the one who would go out and he would call for people to repent. Very serious. He was 
very, he, in fact, he was, he was really strange. He was the original minimalist. I mean, he lived in the desert. It says that he wore, he, you know, he left home early and he lives out there. He makes clothes out of animal skins. He eats, you know, locusts and wild honey. And they just look at him and just go, whoa. I mean, the original mountain man, but a desert man in this case. And he lives out there and they were drawn to him because he would preach he was tough. He was hard. His preaching was on repent. You better, you better wise up. You better change your ways because the king is here. He's coming. And he would do what a herald would do if a new ruler took over. He would say, you better straighten out things. You better go fix the roads. You better go make sure that the new king coming knows that he is welcome in your life in this place. And so John is one of these guys that you look at his life and you say, wow, I mean, there must be something really kind of crazy about John's life. And there was. In fact, John was the, the one prophesied that he would come right before and proclaim, make the path straight because the king has finally uh, arrived. And so we're going to look at his story. But I just want to set you up again with this idea. What if, what if the way we want to be saved? What if the way we want to be rescued is not the same way that God wants to rescue us? What if he has a different idea than the idea we have, the things that we get caught up in, the things that we get distracted in, the things that we think will make our lives significant and meaningful? What if God has a different idea? And the reason I say this, because even when we look at this story, you're going to be drawn to a couple of things, because I, I was drawn immediately too. You're going to be drawn at uh, two people, uh, Zachariah and Elizabeth. How did they live? Was there something about how they lived that means that's why they were chosen by God to be the parents of this young man? Or here's the other side of it. Or did God do what God does? Did he just come and interrupt their life because he decided to come and interrupt their life. Not because they decided, not because anything they did, but because of what he decided to do. When the reason I say this is because if, if you try to make uh, Zachariah and Elizabeth into the model for how you're supposed to live, you're gonna have trouble with all the other people because there is no model. There's no way that it just fits. Just like I told you, Paul is the opposite. Paul is the outright aggressive enemy of Jesus. And yet he becomes a follower. He wasn't seeking him. Um, he was sought out. And so God does things in our lives to catch our attention, to, to, to get us to realize that he has a way, to, to cause us to say, wait a minute, but, but, but maybe, maybe his way will be a lot better than my way. And if you're in a stage of life, you know, maybe you're not there yet, but if you're here and you just kind of say, yeah, that, that's a good, good word for me because I'm kind of struggling with life and all the things that I've done, I thought this was going to fix it. This was going to be the most significant thing about my life. Now I've realized, hmm, maybe I've missed something. Maybe there's something more. And that is exactly why Jesus was born, exactly why Jesus came to the earth. I know that a lot of modern uh, uh, thinkers will say, you know, it's, it's just a bad time. You know, why would God send his son at this time? But think about it. Think about it for a minute. The Roman empire is in control. You know what Rome does? Rome goes and builds roads everywhere. Rome, Rome makes everyone speak the language that they want to speak. But Rome makes everyone do accounting the way they want accounting done. At this time, remember, we, we, we learned that the Caesar has declared a census to be taken. Well, he declares a census to be taken so he can figure out 
How big is my empire? How much tax can I get? How much money can I get so that I'll know how to plan building my armies and building the things that I want? It's an unusual time. It's a powerful time for God to do exactly what he does when, when uh, Jesus comes into the world. So here, this is uh, Luke chapter number one. We'll go pretty fast through this, but we'll dwell on a couple of things. This is what it says in verse number five, after Luke gives his introductions and he says he's written this to Theophilus. He says, when Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named, say his name with me. His name was what? Okay, so there's a Jewish priest named Zechariah, he says. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah. So um, it may sound strange, but what happened is 1,100 years earlier, during the time of David, they set up the order of the priest and what is going to be done in the temple, and uh, they, they cast lots, and the order is determined. There are 24 orders of the priesthood. Abijah is one of them. Each one of these orders of the priesthood will go and serve in Jerusalem at the temple for a week, and they'll do this twice a year. So two weeks out of the year, they're in charge in Jerusalem to do the work, and then the rest of the time they go back and they do their other duties and live their life and work their business or whatever they're doing. But this was the assigned duty for them because of their birth, because they were born in this, in this line. Then it also says, um, and his wife, Elizabeth, and catch this, she was also of the priestly line of Aaron. So she wasn't one of these lines that he was a part of, but she was still born into the priestly line of Aaron. So Zachariah and Elizabeth were, listen to this, righteous in the eyes of God. That means they did their best to do their duty, to try to, to, to be as good as they could, to obey the laws of, of Jerusalem and to obey the laws of God. And they tried to live their life this way, you know, the, the best they could. Maybe uh, for a lot of people, you think, oh, eh, how boring, right? One of those, you know, that's not the way I want to live my life. I want my life with excitement and diversity and all. They're kind of locked in to who they are and what they're going to do. And they, they, they grasp this, they accept this, and they live their life in this, in this way um, despite maybe some of the other, you know, desires or feelings that, that they would have had. But they, they grasped hold of this. That's why they're described this way. And it says, careful to obey all the Lord's commands and his regulations. But then it adds this in verse 7. They had no children. Because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. So she couldn't have a child. Now, I, you know, we're not really told here if, uh, I mean, it's, it's spoken of as if this is something to do with Elizabeth. Um, we don't know because back then I don't know that they understood, is this really Elizabeth or is this Zachariah? Maybe, maybe Zachariah had been married before and had kids, so maybe they determined it that way. We don't really know, but here's what we do know. In fact, uh, you don't have to be a, a woman to carry this with you. She carries with her this idea that I can't have children, all my other friends are having children. Everybody else in the town is having children. When we go to Starbucks in the morning, right, and I meet my friends, you know, and they've just dropped off their kids at school, and they want to talk about their kids. Because, you know, when you have kids, anybody found this out? When you have kids, what do you talk about? Kid, that's all you talk about. That's the only thing that you talk about, kids, all the time. Joni and I, we have, our, our, we have three of our grandkids 
living at the house, have been there for a couple months. They'll go through December before they make their move onto uh, Austin, uh, my daughter and my son-in-law. And what do we talk about? Grandkids. That's all we talk about because they dominate the house. They do. I mean, they take over. They rule because of my two-year-old last night. She has decided she wants to do something. It's time to go to bed. And of course, when her dad tells her, no, you can't do that. It's time to go to bed. It's your bedtime. She says, oh, in that case, thank you, dad. I will go to bed. Does a two-year-old say that? <laughs> no. She takes over. She throws her arms up. She falls on the ground. She has got a set of lungs. I mean, she can wail and just, you know, it goes on and on until she finally gives in or wears out and finally, you know, goes to bed and goes to sleep. Yeah, she has none of that. She feels like I missed all of that. What is it? You ever felt this way about something? Maybe not about kids, but you ever felt this way about something? What is it that I have done that God is punishing me in this way? Because I'm not like, you know, all my other friends. And I know you think, well, I'm not sure that's punishment. I have a lot of kids and that's punishment right now. But, but that's the way she felt. She felt somehow, you know, there's a mark on her. Somehow there's this idea that she failed in some way. She didn't do something the way she was supposed to. Maybe some egregious sin in her life has caused her to, to end up this way. Jesus actually entertains this when he's, he's talking with his disciples and they actually go to him and they say, you know, this guy, you know, he's, he's either born blind or this guy, this celebrity. What is it that, that he did or is it Jesus, is it a sin that his parents did that caused him to be this way? Now listen, sometimes what we do, mistakes that we make, cause us to be in a certain situation. But Jesus does a really strange thing and I think you should listen to this. I think this is really important. Jesus said neither. <laughs> he said, but that we would be able to see the glory of God. And he heals the man. Uh, see, sometimes, sometimes we're so stuck on what we do and, and why did this happen and it must be our fault and we're so struggling with trying to overcome that or somehow remedy that situation that we forget that we live in a pretty messed up world, don't we? And, and bad things happen all the time. And if, you've, if you haven't noticed, let me just go ahead and, and give you the bad news. It's getting messier, <laughs> There are more and more people. It's getting bigger and bigger, not, not the circumference of the earth, but the number of people that inhabit it. And there's just bigger and bigger messes and more and more messes. And so we're all looking for why, but we're also looking for what? what what's going to fix it? How are we going to get out of this? They, they were the same way. And Elizabeth is carrying this, this deep, deep pain and this deep hurt. And she is now old. I mean, she's past the time of, you know, some doctor, maybe Dr. Luke, you know, coming up with some remedy for this and we've been able to fix this and we've come up with some way so that this will not be the case and, you know, uh, they didn't have in vitro or anything like that, but it, it doesn't appear. And now she's at the point where no, I'm past all of that. It's not going to happen, you know, for me, maybe for someone else. So what am I supposed to do? So that's, that's their situation. That's who they, they are. It's a really good setup that he gives us. And uh, it's a reflection in so many ways of who Israel was because Israel was a nation that, that had pretty much grown old and lost its hope because at one time, you know, they had kings and one time they were united kingdom, then they were a divided kingdom. Then the northern kingdom was taken, you know, hostage by, by those in the east and then eventually the southern kingdom 
also fell. The Babylonians came and they take them hostage. And now they're under Roman rule. They're split up. You've got in the, in the, in the south, you've got Jerusalem and, and Bethlehem and this area in the south. Then you've got the Samaritans live here. And then Galilee, where Jesus actually goes and lives, is up north. I mean, they're divided by a whole other country that is there. So it's not like they have hope. You know, that, that something wonderful is going to happen and, and life is only getting better and better and better. No, it's the opposite for them. This is a picture of Israel. <laughs> We're old. We're tired. We're still trying to hold on to the same hopes that we had. But we're not sure why we're holding on to them because they, they just don't seem to be working. When I was in college, uh, I, I, there was a professor I loved. He, he taught medieval uh, cultures and societies and gods, and he looked like kind of a Greek statue. He was like this, and he pushed his hair back, and he, he, had, a, he had a great, you know, uh, physique, and he, he spoke like some uh, European orator, and he would talk about how the Hebrew God, which I'm like, well, that's actually my God, right? The Hebrew God was the weakest and the worst of all the gods because he had no great empire. The Romans had great empires, the Greeks had great empires, the Egyptians had great empires, the Babylonians, but the Hebrews. And, and here's the problem, I, I, know that, I know why he would say that, I understand it, but what he doesn't understand is you're wrong. <laughs> because when Jesus comes, Jesus begins to start the kingdom, the empire that he had planned. The problem is it's just not the one that we had planned. It's not how we saw it, as if you know, the, the Greeks and the Romans and the Egyptians and the as if they fixed the world and made it a better place, right? <laughs> no, they just made it a more competitive place and a place for new rulers and new empires to want to conquer the old ones and take over. But he would come in and he would conquer, Jesus would come in and he would conquer the heart of the people. He, he would get them to follow him because they loved him and because they knew how much he loved them. And he would start as he tells Pontius Pilate as a Christian, he says, my kingdom isn't the way you think of kingdoms. It's not the kingdom like you think here. That's why there are no soldiers here. And that's why the people, my own people are not rising up and fighting for me because I, I, that's not what the kingdom is all about. This is a totally different kingdom. And he would look at it and say, yeah, but your, your kingdom's all about, you know, Jewish people. It was a really tiny number of people as far as the world is concerned. And Jesus is like, actually, it's not. <laughs> it's about much bigger than that. In fact, Jesus could have easily looked at Pontius Pilate and said, no, my kingdom's about your people. <laughs> I, will, I will turn their hearts also. And that's why Jesus comes. So here's how the story picks up after that. He says this, one, one day, verse number eight. Zachariah was serving God in the temple. So this is Zachariah's day. Um, when, when, when the order of Abijah was doing one of their weeks, uh, they would cast lots, just like Abijah was selected 1,100 years ago, cast lots. It was sort of their idea of the, of the sovereignty of God. We'll, we'll cast lots, some sort of dice, something, they, whatever. And whoever it falls on, that's the one God picked to to be in the temple by himself offering the prayers and the incense um, that day. And so finally, for the first time, and probably most historians say because the number of, uh, that would have been in his order, it would have been the only time he has ever allowed to go and serve in the temple to take that one spot because after he does it, he's eliminated from the, uh, from the lot after that. One day he is serving in the temple for his order was on duty that week. 
As was the custom of the priests, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and to burn incense. So this incense would produce smoke and it would have this aroma to it. And, and outside, it's gonna say, were the people standing outside. So the idea when he's doing this is, he is offering up the prayers and the hopes and the heartache of Israel up to God. He, he is offering his prayers to, to him. What is, what is Zechariah praying for when he does this? He's praying for rescue. He's praying for a deliverer. He's praying specifically for the Christ, the Messiah, the one that you have chosen. Because God, it seems to be getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And there's more people and more people and more people. And these Romans are in our land now. They've taken over in our land. You go north, there are the Samaritans. You know, it, it doesn't seem to be getting better. God, we don't understand. We don't know how to fix it. Would you come and would you fix something? But, but, listen, you think that Zechariah might also be praying for himself and for his wife? I think he would. I think he would say, and I've never had a child. And Sarah is so sad. She struggles, she struggled her whole life, and God, here we are, and I know that that's not gonna happen, but you know, you know we've, we've never been able to be there. Yeah, because this is his life. This, this, is, this is who he is. So he's in there, he's offering the incense, he's praying, it says, while the incense was being burned, a great burned, a great crowd stood outside, and they were praying, offering up the prayers of Israel. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him. You think something's gonna change? <laughs> yeah, I mean, all of a sudden, whoa, what is going on? I, I know Zechariah may be thinking, I wonder what was in that incense because I, there's someone standing there and there wasn't anybody before and I'm supposed to be the only one who is here standing right in front of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken, he's overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, this is what the angels love to do, right? Don't be afraid. <laughs> because naturally you would be afraid. It, it's strange, it's weird, it's, it's beyond us. You realize that this, this, this being that has appeared must be a whole lot more powerful than uh, who I am and they can do whatever they want to. Don't be afraid, Zechariah. Listen to this. God has heard your what? Your prayer, yeah. God has heard your prayer. You know, if we're, if we're honest, we wonder if God hears our prayers, right? Because we don't get what we want. He, 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 he doesn't fix it the way, you know, we, we wanted it fixed. Um, our team doesn't always win, right? You know, unexpected things come that are not always good in our life. Has God heard our prayers? And the, and the angel, the first thing is, is to say, listen, God hears. He's heard your prayer. It, it doesn't mean that, uh, that God will jump at, at your requests and do things the way you want them to be done. But he is assuring him that God has heard your prayer, whether it was for the Savior of Israel, and, and it, he would have been praying that, or whether it was even for his uh, own lack of a child. And, he, and, and here's how you know, because this is what the angel says. Your wife, Elizabeth, now this is getting really personal. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John, which incidentally was not one of their family names, so it was a strange name, but this is the name that the angel says, that God says, name the child 
John. And then in verse 14, it says, you will have great joy and gladness. Many will rejoice at his birth. Because of your age, this child will wear you out. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I wrote that in from, <laughs> from my personal. Okay. For he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. It's because he will have a Nazarite uh, vow, and, uh, and that was part of that vow. He will be filled with, listen to this, he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. And if you know the story, remember Mary comes down to visit Elizabeth, and, and Elizabeth is, um, John is older. He's, she's been pregnant longer since she was in five months of isolation, and the baby jumps inside of her because he said the Holy Spirit she knows has said, you're with child and your child is gonna be even more important than, than my child, even before his birth. In verse 15, and he will turn, listen to this, many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and the power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children that's, that's future right there. He'll turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Man, this is, this, is, this is amazing, the proclamation that is made. In fact, in your outline, I just put a few things that I pulled out of there. There are a lot more to pull out of this and you might wanna write them down. I didn't have but so much outline to, to put in. But uh, there's this you know, joy and excitement, yes, from a baby, but different with this child. This, this joy and excitement will be bigger than just their personal joy and excitement. This will be all of Israel's joy and excitement. And the coming, finally, of the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ, has finally come after all of this time. He is finally here. And the description of who he is, so accurate, so amazing, what he will do, the change that even John himself will bring into the world. Jesus, one time, he, he's, he's dealing with the people and, and their struggle. This is as he's an adult. And he says, you know, when it came to John, because John is around when Jesus is around because he's the forerunner there, before he, he dies, he said, when it came to John, what were you looking for? What did you expect to see when you went out into the wilderness? He said, were you expecting to see a reed shaken by the wind? Now, this is a picture from the Old Testament of Israel being like one of the papyrus reeds that would have been there, you know, in Egypt on the bank. And these reeds are sticking up, and, and Israel is represented by a reed that is shaken by the wind and um, different, falters in the midst of all. And that is what it looks like, you know, for them that Israel has not become like Egypt, not become like all the other, you know, we're not as big and as powerful. What were you looking for? A reed shaken by the wind? He said, no, that's not what you saw with John. John wasn't shaken at all. And he was bold. He was aggressive. He, was, he spoke as if God was here and you can't miss it and you better not miss it. You better wake up and you better be ready. I mean, John, John was in their face. John went after the local ruler and talked about his own hypocrisy and his own immorality and called him out. Not really a good thing to do, you know, as far as local rulers are concerned because he wanted to then eliminate John and eventually he does. And then Jesus said this, so what were you looking for? You're looking for someone in soft clothes? He said, no, someone in soft clothes lives in a palace. <laughs> That's not what you're, you find if you go looking for John. A prophet? He says, yes, and even more than a prophet. And he says, with John, 
none greater, you know, as far as people are concerned. What he did, the task he took on, his faithfulness to what he what was doing. But he also adds, but in heaven, all will be greater because of who Christ is and because of what Jesus actually came to do. So um, you, can, you can add a few more in there. I think it's just amazing who he was and what he, what he did. But Zechariah, getting back to his story, you know, Zechariah, the truth is, he's kind of overwhelmed with all this. kind of hard to take in, you know, what you're talking about, all that you said, this scene, I don't, you know, I don't understand this, I don't know what to deal with this. And so here's how the next paragraph says uh, he is dealt with. Zechariah said to the angel, how can I be sure this will happen? Okay, this is great, you know, maybe I'm dreaming. How can I be sure this has happened? I'm an old man now, so he's going back to the facts. I'm an old man now. My wife is also well along in years. So it doesn't happen. You know, th this is science. This is, you, you cannot do what you're talking about doing. Then the angel said to him, now, this is great. I'm Gabriel. It's kind of like, do you understand who you're talking to? Don't tell me what can be done and what cannot be done. I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of not, not Herod or the, or the, or the uh, Caesar. Or the, I stand in the very presence of, of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. He's the one. I, it wasn't my idea. I didn't come up with it. I'm just an, a, a messenger sent from the heavens themselves came, come down to let you know what this means and what is going on so that the hope that you, that you need will be renewed inside of you and so that you won't miss what God himself is uh, planning on doing. This is verse 20. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak while the, un, until the child is born. For my words, say this with me, they will what? Certainly be fulfilled at the... It's, it's a pointer, right? God has his times. God has his plans. They're not ours. Um, we, we get frustrated with God because we have times. We have plans. We don't understand. God has his times. God has his plans. God will not be deterred from his own plans and his own timing. That's who he is. It is absolutely masterful what God chooses to do and when God chooses uh, to do it. So, so here's the way it will work, Zechariah. Uh, so uh, and, and I don't think this is so much a punishment for him as it is another sign. So that you, since you did not believe, you won't be able to speak anything. <laughs> you won't be able to talk to the people. You know, when you go out until the child is born, it will be a sign for them also. And if you look, that's exactly what happens. Look at the next paragraph. It says, meanwhile, the people are waiting for Zechariah to come out of the sanctuary, wondering why is he taking so long? You ever do that? Yep. I mean, I've got to go, right? And this ceremony was only supposed to last about an hour. Now we're two hours into it. Did he fall asleep? You know, did he, did he have a heart attack in there? Is he smoking some of the incense? Why is, I mean, what is going on, Zechariah? And kind of confirms for them uh, in verse 22, when he finally did come out, he couldn't speak to them. Then they realized from his gestures and his silence that he must have seen a vision in the sanctuary. Something's going on. There's something, you know, happening that, that, that we didn't catch and that, that, that somehow, you know, we missed, it doesn't, it, it kind of defies natural explanation. Isn't that the way God works? <laughs> if, if we could predict it, 
If we could, if we could measure it, if we could calculate it, what would we do? We try to take control of it, right? We try to say, how can I profit from this? How can I use this for my own desires and for my own will? But God doesn't allow it. He doesn't. I, I, I love in the, the Lord of the Rings, you know, trilogy, you know, the, uh, the, the, the wizard is sitting at the top of the tower, the evil wizard's kind of after him. And he says this one phrase, don't you like these phrases when they come up? Uh, he talks about God and the power of who God is. And he says, and he doesn't share power. And I love that, you know, just like, yes, it's exactly it. He does what he wants. He has his plans. He doesn't listen to the counsel of mankind, of men. Why? Because Jesus even said, because Jesus knew what was in the heart of men. But he does care for us. He does love us. And he rescues us his way because it's the better way. And it's our place in life to look and to listen and say, ooh, maybe God has something better planned than I had planned, than, than I thought of. See, I think this is important. In, in one sense, for you to put yourself in Zachariah's spot or in Elizabeth's spot, me also, and to say, what if I were in that spot? What if there was something in my life that I thought, God, how could you let this happen? How could this be the, the lot of my life and living my life that I would go through this or this would be my situation? And I know even saying, saying that, you're probably thinking, well, yeah, you know, may not be having a child, maybe something else. And we just think, you know, how could this, if there's a God, how could he let us go through that? Maybe God is letting us go through that to get our attention. Maybe so that we would stop trying to fix it ourselves and, and do it ourselves. Live your life, yes. Do the best that you can do, absolutely. Use your gifts and talents as best you can. Enjoy the things of life that God has given you, but at the same time, to look to God and to recognize that God has a plan and it's better, it's better than my plan. It's, it's, it's better than your plan. Jesus is talking to the man, comes up to him and it says, uh, you know, he does this story about how he, you know, he's, he's so wealthy, he has so much. He builds more barns and, to, and, and he looks to himself and says, I, I've taken care of myself. Self, eat, drink, and be merry because look at all you've done. And Jesus addresses the man in a different way. Jesus says, fool. Now, when the son of God calls you a fool, you sh it should get your attention, right? You should say, whoa, what? And he says this, fool. For today, your life will be required of you. And then he adds, and then who gets all the stuff you've stored? <laughs> you don't get to decide. I know we think, oh, I do. I mean, no, you don't. <laughs> you, do, you just think you do. But uh, what's done afterwards, you, you have no control over because you really never had but partial control anyway. But God has control. And God can do what he wants to do. So it's a, it's a good thing when we kind of hit the wall or we kind of fall on our face only to wake up and to look up and to recognize what he has done for us. Not because we're righteous, not, not because we're better than everyone else. I mean, Elizabeth and Zachariah, they live, really, they do, probably a pretty boring life, an uneventful life. That's not the way it was gonna end. No, their life was gonna be incredibly significant. And there's this last part. Every Christmas, I can't help but bring out this last paragraph because I think it's just, 
as far as human beings are concerned, especially I think, you know, as I look at my own life, th this is the paragraph that just kind of jumps out to me, even though it's hidden most of the time to most people. It says in verse 23, when Zechariah's week of service in the temple was over, he returned home. Okay, pretty boring, right? Went back home. Soon afterward, his wife, Elizabeth, became pregnant. Whoa. And went into seclusion for five months. And here are her words. How kind the Lord is. He has taken away my disgrace of having no children. Oh, my goodness. The one thing that I thought no one can fix the one thing that I've had to bear my whole life, the pain and the misery and the, the shame that, that she felt of being like this. And all of a sudden to recognize that, that God was not being cruel and that God was not being unkind. The opposite was true. How, how kind the Lord is. Isn't that the essence of love? That, that someone shows kindness toward you? Isn't that what love is really all about? That someone looks to you and says, I, I see you, I understand your situation, and they show kindness to you. And that is how God, at least from Elizabeth's viewpoint, how God looked at her after all of these years, how kind the Lord is. He has removed, he's taken away my disgrace, the idea that God has not been gracious to me. Oh, no. God has been gracious. In fact, here I am. Um, she goes to Starbucks. All of her friends, you know, they're not doing kids anymore. All the kids have grown up. They're just complaining about their kids, right? And, uh, and she gets to say, here's mine. <laughs> here's little Johnny, you know. And they're all past it all, right? And, and, and she has all the younger moms and all the coming over to see little Johnny. And you, yes, here's Oh my goodness, the joy that she feels, the excitement that she feels knowing that God has not forgotten about her. He has seen her need, he's, he's seen her heart and he's planned all along, all along, he's planned to do this for her in her life. Let's pray together. And as we pray, I wanna encourage you just for a moment that maybe there's something in your life that you, you feel like, no, God has not seen me. Maybe, maybe you carry it with you. In fact, it, it, it may be something that's become even a source of great discouragement and great pain like Elizabeth's. Maybe to the point of it, it, it just harbors bitterness and anger inside of you. And I, I don't know the answer. I, I can't tell you what God will do. But Elizabeth would say, he knows, he sees, he's not forgotten about you. He still cares. And Elizabeth would be the one to say, it's not because I was so righteous and so good. That, that was my life was to, to do my best, but it was because of God's kindness toward me. That is the picture of Jesus coming into this world for all of Israel and for all of the world that as much as we don't like life and as frustrated as we are to so many things in life, God is not blind, he is not deaf, it's not that he hasn't heard or he doesn't know, God hears our prayers. And in the proper time and in the way that he has chosen, 
He answers our prayers for our own good. If you're here, maybe you feel like you've kind of lost faith. It's kind of drifted away from you. Maybe you feel like life is just sort of taken its toll on me. And it would be easy somehow to drift away from God. What a time to say no. I know who my Savior is and my rescuer is. I'm not trying to figure it out or to tell God how to fix it. I'm here to say, I trust you, Lord, that you have a better plan than I would ever have. Just like the plan for Zachariah and Elizabeth was so much more wonderful, so much more exciting, and so much more climactic than anything they could ever have dreamed up. Lord Jesus, thank you that you came into this world, that you came for us. As different as we are, as mixed up sometimes as we are, you came to give us a path, give us a hope, to show us just what love looks like. Thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Finally.